See Sweet and Sour, powered by Align, the podcast where we talk about the sweet and not so sweet sides of leadership. Hello again, and welcome to this episode of See Sweet and Sour. I am very privileged and honored uh, to be hosting uh, Rich Armstrong. Rich, how are you? I'm good, Philip. I am okay. Uh, the last episode, I was completely, uh, my throat was gone. I was like just the end, at the end of laryngitis. And now I'm feeling a little tickle again. Yep. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to blame the fact that I wasn't outside for two years. And now I'm just getting everything. So, um, <laughs> yeah, if I cough a little, if I cough a little bit, I'll just, you know, I'll try to click the cough button. Totally understand. That's going around. It's been going around now since uh, uh, the spring of 2020, right? Yeah, something, <laughs> something. I don't know what's going on anymore. I just, I'm just trying to be as healthy as possible. Rich, just for the people that don't know, I'm going to, I'm going to run through your bio real quick uh, and then we'll get right into it. So here, here, here we go. Rich has more than 30 years of experience in improving business performance and employee engagement through open book management and employee ownership with service as a consultant and as an executive at SRC Holding Corporation, a 38-year employee-owned company, and one of America's top 100 largest majority employee-owned companies. That's actually really cool. Uh, we'll get into that uh, We'll get into that a little bit later. Rich also served as the president of the Great Game of Business for 16 years. Uh, where he co-authored the update to the Great Game of Business 20th Anniversary Edition and his new book, Get in the Game, Creating Rapid Financial Results and Lasting Cultural Change with Steve uh, Baker. That's a little bit of a mouthful, but uh, we'll get into that as well. Uh, Rich has been instrumental. <laughs> long to- yeah, it's a little long there. That's all right. It probably looks good on the book. Actually, it does look, on the, it does look good on the book. Uh, I've seen it. Rich has been instrumental in the ongoing development of SRC Holdings, open book management, and employee ownership practices through practical, firsthand experience leading several of SRC's business units. This experience has enabled him to successfully apply the, pra- the, the practices of OBM, which I'm assuming it's open book management. Yes, we'll get into that a little bit uh, later. And uh, employee ownership in both small and large scale company implementations around the world. Rich is a passionate advocate for employee ownership and its unique and proven approach to bridging the gap between the haves and the have nots. Rich, once again, thank you for being here. (laughs) Thank you so much. Um, So yeah, I I, kind of want to kick this off uh, with OBM and open book management, open book management and employee ownership. It's something that um, one of the things that I, I, I read when I first joined Align, uh, they made us read it because I was going to a leadership conference uh, and they made us read a book, okay. uh, read us read a book yeah. called Ownership Thinking. It kind of, it, 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 that intrigues me. So can you, can you elaborate a little bit about that methodology? Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, actually uh, the book Ownership Thinking, I believe you're referencing Brad Hams, which was a, a early coach of the great game of business uh, back in the early nineties. But yeah, this is, this is a practice of, of course, open book management is about, you know, being, uh, you know, most people recognize it as being a practice of being financially transparent, opening up the books and the financials to your employees so they better understand how the business is performing. Um, most importantly, how what they can do differently in the business to to help the company perform even better. The version that that we practice is what we call the great game of business. And that was that was off of a book that was released in um, 1992, and it's really a story about our parent company, SRC Holdings, and it's probably the first first book that was published that really highlighted this practice of open book management, being financial transparent. Now, the reason we were doing it is because we bought a business that we, for 
$8.9 million with only about $100,000 of equity. So we had to learn the business, right? Or we were out of business. So it was kind of forced on us to be transparent, to get everybody to understand what, what levers to pull to improve the business. And that book just caught fire because a lot of companies, you know, I think it was really about leaders that always considered more transparency and considered, hey, this is kind of an interesting way of managing the business and just opening up the goals and opening up what's really we're all after and giving everybody the, uh, the uh, empowerment to go after those goals. But they were, it was, it was very kind of radical because a lot of entrepreneurs are not that transparent about the financials. So, uh, but over the last 30 some years, it's, it certainly has uh, been a common practice for a lot of organizations to really start to open it up and engage their employees, which I think is the most important thing now is that how do you, how do you really separate your organization from all the others in terms of you know, attracting and retaining great people. And I think great people want to have that kind of empowerment at work. We will be back after this short message. 90% of businesses fail. 10% don't. Here's why. Plans fail when you don't have the right systems and software in place. This is why we built Align, a strategic growth management software that allows you to share real-time updates and eliminate miscommunication. Align is an easy-to-use, cloud-based software with features like daily huddles, KPI dashboards, software integrations, and so much more. You can see your company's priorities, critical numbers, goals and tasks while holding everyone accountable. And all this in the palm of your hand with our mobile app. So what are your next steps? It's simple. Learn more about Align by requesting a demo at aligntoday.com. Let us make sure we land you in that 10%. Align, achieve big goals faster. Yeah, I, I, I agree. My, my question is, and this is, a, this is a kind of the answer, but I, I want to ask it anyway. Do we see a difference in how companies are, are actually doing what they're doing by being more transparent? Is it because the types of people we're employing right now, the types of people we've become as the generations you know, change? Or is it just, be, or would have it been as good as it is now if we would have done the same thing in the past? Like, I, I feel like there's this, I feel like the reason why this is happening isn't necessarily, or the reason why it's a good idea isn't necessarily because it might necessarily be a good idea, but because of the generation and how we, we look at things. What, what, what's your, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, you know, I think it's interesting. I, th I always talk about what we have been um following ourselves and practicing ourselves in our own organization, but also teaching businesses over the last 30 years how to do it. It's, it's really at a, at a tipping point. And I think a bit of that tipping point is driven by, you know, the next generation of workers and leaders is that I think there's, a, I think they come in it with it a little bit with the attitude that why wouldn't you open up this information to me? I mean, why don't, why aren't you showing this to me? Those kind of questions where, you know, the past generation that just was, you know, that was the culture, right? You, you know, if somebody handed you a financial statement in your business, you'd probably turn it around and say, I don't think I'm allowed to see this kind of stuff and hand it back. You know, today it was like, oh, cool. Let's, this is, this, let's look at this. You know, it's, it's kind of the transparency that everybody's wanting to drive. And I think it's so important anymore. I mean, everybody's trying to find, uh, you know, the, the version of the truth, you know, and with financials, it's hard to, uh, manipulate the financials, right? It's, it, they, they are what they are. The numbers show um, what the results of the business are. And, uh, and like I said earlier, more importantly, do they understand it enough that they can actually influence the results, right? 
And that's really our goal is to make that kind of connection. Because I want to make it very uh, clear that there is this perception of open book management just being sharing information and maybe educating people on the business. But the we look at that as kind of more open book reporting, right? You can get that in a publicly traded company. What we're looking at is it's really management leadership of taking that knowledge and understanding of where we are in the business and then getting people to make better decisions and take better actions because they understand what influences those numbers. And that's what we're really trying to accomplish. Yeah, I'm almost thinking like, why in the past were they trying, like I'm playing devil's advocate here, right? Why would they not want to show financials? My, my thoughts are, okay, you don't want to know the, not usually you don't show the employees and like the thought process, not usually. The thought process in my mind is you don't show the employee the numbers because they don't understand the numbers. And when they see them, they say, hey, look, we're doing, let's just say 10 million in revenue, right? And they say, wait a second, my salary is, I don't know, 50,000 a year. How am I only making only 50,000 a year when doing 10 million in revenue? And I, I think that open book reporting needs to come along with a lot of financial education, which which I don't think anybody had the, the, the so, so no. What, what I'm thinking is that we're missing like all the education behind it. And if you don't educate them why you only have this $50,000 salary when we're making 10 million a year, Right. Yeah. What, what, what do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, Philip, I think you're, you're right on is that I, it has to have the education uh, as part of it. And education is the central part of this. But I would I would push back on that. Yes, I think people are thinking, oh, man, I don't want to open the business. I don't know the numbers up because people are going to look at it, look how much money I'm making and and they're going to want to raise and because they're not making enough and that kind of thing. Well, the reality is they're already thinking that way and they already have those numbers in their, their mind, right? They're already going, I make $50,000 a year and I think this guy's you know putting $10 million a year in his bank account when in reality, that's probably not actually happening, right? If that $10 million, probably 80% of that's being right invested right back into the business and there's probably some fair rate of return going back to the owner but it's a little harder to make money in business than than most people realize. And so that education is what we try to teach. But again, more importantly is uh, we want to you know, clarify all those misconceptions, but we want to get it to the point that I often ask them, a lot of CEOs speak on the Vistage Tour, those are the, the groups and things. And I always ask, you know, what what are the most important goals of the organization? And profit, revenue growth are always one you know, one and two, probably, you know, that's, I mean, we're in business to make money, right? And grow the business. And then, then turn around and ask them, well, how, you know, are you sharing those most important goals to your employees? Well, no. Well, there's the breakdown right there because they're chasing their own goals and you're trying to get them to those goals, but you're not sharing those goals. So it, it, that's the, that's the conflict in their organizations and the misconceptions and people are making decisions and actions off those misconceptions. So you're sitting here and saying, you know, they, they think that you're making tons of money when in fact, a lot of that's being reinvested. Well, they're making decisions and actions, taking decisions and actions off of that. Yeah, I think one of the things that I, this, this is the second time this has happened in, uh, in the last two recordings. I, uh, I just posted a poll for anybody who's mid-management or non-management non on LinkedIn. And what I wrote was, do you know why you're doing what you're doing, right? There's been this kind of what I'm feeling a lot in the workforce is there is a lot of people are are busy rather than productive, 
right? And a lot of a lot of them doing what they're doing because they think they're they're getting tasks, right? This is necessarily the the fault of the of the mid management slash non management, but I see a lot of people doing things without asking why, because you know they want this job, they're afraid of the economy, they have a job, they're like, okay, okay, I'm going to do whatever I want right now. Sorry, no, I'm going to do whatever they tell me to, not whatever I want, and they just go through the through through the, the through through the process. And instead of asking why, now there's the whole psychology behind it. You start asking why, you start asking questions. People say, "Why the hell are you asking questions? Just do the job." Personally, and I think I think overall, good leaders are uh, prefer somebody that asks those questions rather than not. That's one thing. And the other is, I think that if that why doesn't connect to that company goal or priority, then they shouldn't be doing it. Right. So. Again, I asked this question. I'm going to see. I, I literally did this morning. I haven't. I, I don't know if I, I, I jumped onto this uh, recording right after. I'm going to see how many votes I have so far. But it's interesting to see how many people are actually doing it. Understand the the, the repercussions. Good, right? Good repercussions, right? With what they're doing, and I just feel like a lot of people are just working rather than being productive. I think you're right. I think they check. They they they're checking the box, right? And I think that's the most powerful benefit of managing a business this way is because we can just be very transparent on the goals and the why behind those goals and the education behind those goals and then just empower people to go make it happen. There's less micromanagement uh, involved in doing that. I mean, you can really lead them and coach them and and give them that uh, uh, freedom. And that's what it is, is freedom to go out and, 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 and make it happen. And that's in, that's extremely engaging. Hey, C-Sweet and Sour listeners, it's Haley here from Align. I hope you're enjoying this episode. I just wanted to jump in with some exciting news. We have a new limited time promotion for listeners. You can get 10% off your first year of the Align software with the promo code NOTSOUR10. Align is a strategic planning and execution management software designed to help businesses achieve their goals faster. To get started, go to aligntoday.com demo and complete the form to book your demo today. Again, the code is NOTSOUR10. Now back to the episode. I want to touch on, uh, you know, your your senior executive uh, experience. How did your experience and skills uh, in in those roles kind of make you a better coach with great, you know, just a better coach in general? Well, I think that's it's it's critical. It was it was always in the back of my mind because the great game of business, our consulting arm, is part of SRC Holdings, which is the company I've been with for the last thirty five years. So, I've always supported that organization, did events and things as a leader within SRC because we highlight our own practices of this, you know, walk the talk kind of thing. And I always enjoyed it, but I always wanted to make sure that I had spent some years really doing it uh, before going out and saying, okay, I want to be, I want to teach this, right? Um, So I spent the first, you know, almost 20 years of my career within the operations and uh, what I think it I think it does is that, you know, I mean, you can honestly say that, you know, I've been there, done that kind of thing. I've had to work through a lot of these issues and I've had to practically apply a lot of these concepts and not not just theory. And I think the biggest thing, the two things that kind of come to mind that I've tried to keep in mind when working with clients is that, you know, keep keep it practical, <laughs> keep it simple, because you get you can you can. Uh, underestimate the the time and the bandwidth that's required to implement what you're advising companies to do, and so you got to keep it practical and you got to keep it simple. And I think that reverse that, that works in reverse as well, meaning that you know as a 
you know, as a a client that sometimes they can over, overcomplicate things, right? So as a coach, you can try to help them simplify it, not overthink it and those kind of things. So I think that is a big part of it. And then the other appreciation I really have had being a coach is, is the appreciate the, the benefits of having outside advisors and coaches in your life. Um, I probably didn't appreciate that as much as being in the executive role with SRC early on because I, I just felt like I don't want anybody in my business. You know, you know, they don't know my business, those kind of things. But what I've I've grown to understand is that that outside perspective is so valuable. And maybe they're not right on in terms of all of their advice, um, but they are getting you to think a little differently about things, and to have somebody in your network that can challenge you and and ask some different questions out completely off off the range type questions gets you to think a little bit differently and that's what that's what you need to need to have as a leader to be challenged that way yeah i i i feel like the 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 best use of a coach mentor is them asking you questions and getting you to think rather than telling you what to do uh because like you said sometimes they're, they're not 100% involved, they might have, you know, 10 other clients, or maybe even more if some successful ones, right? A good coach mentor is somebody who isn't necessarily telling you what to do, but making you think properly, giving putting you in the right mindset. I wanted to touch on what you've seen when it comes to successful CEOs. Is there any characteristics that you that kind of motif that that kind of overlap over the this this the leadership that you've seen that that has been successful? You know, it, it, it's kind of interesting because, you know, the, 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 we're not a general consulting kind of company. We're, con, we're coaching around a specific methodology. What I like to say is that we, we get to work with some people that really have a lot of care for their people. And, and I think that that just is a, there, it's not all about the numbers, right? It is a lot about the people and the growth and the development, and that helps you grow your business. But the people we deal with are just good, genuine people. And so it comes back, you know, I know this is kind of cliche a bit, but it is a lot about being humble and being, you know, having a lot of humility at that leadership role to to always try to keep, keep the edge by sincerely believing that I don't have all the answers and that I need a team to, to be successful and, and really rewarding and recognizing the people around you when you're successful. I mean, you see that in sports all the time, right? We just went through the Super Bowl. And by the way, I'm a huge, you know, longtime Kansas City Chiefs fan. I grew up right next to the stadium, that kind of thing. But you hear those team members, and I think there's some genuines that, you know, they they recognize the, the people around them that make them successful. And I think that's the quality of a leader. And I've seen that in Jack Stack, my my mentor and the CEO of SRC Holdings. I mean, the guy's brilliant, but he has always starts with a question. Maybe he already knows the answer to some of these questions. He just wants to test you, but he's always, you know, he's interested, he's inquisitive, you know, and I think that's good qualities of a good leader. And, and it's because he believes that may I, you know, maybe I don't have all the answers. So I need, I need input. One of the things that I'm, I'm always uh, kind of wary about is, is hearing stories when things are going well, Right. Obviously, everything is all hunky dory and, you know, everything's great when things are going well. I like hearing stories about what what does a uh, a successful leader do when 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 shit hits the fan. 
right? I, I want I want to hear what they've done, and I've I've had the opportunity to work with a lot of companies uh, in 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 my time in uh, I don't know thirteen years. I know it's not a lot compared to a lot of other people, but I've I've worked with a lot of companies. I've worked in an agency, and agency work is like it made me more experienced by tenfold because just the amount of like stuff that's just going past your desk. Do you have any, any good stories about an unsuccessful era in which turned into a successful era that people probably yeah, people I, might I, be I, interested to hear about? Yeah. It's interesting that you, you bring that up. I mean, it's another quality of Jack stacks that I appreciate is that he doesn't like to play with the lead when things are going really, really well, that makes him really, really nervous. And he'll create crisis <laughs> to keep things, you know, moving along, you know, and, and, and advancing. But, you know, we, we ran into a real one, right, with the pandemic in 2020. And we're a very, we're a decentralized, uh, very diversified manufacturing company with a lot of people at a lot of different levels of the organization. And, and that's a very challenging time. And the go-to that I've lived by in any crisis or any kind of really, really, you know, as you mentioned, stuff's hitting the fan and we we have to change and make a difference, right? Is that he leans on this idea of transparency. He we we really believe that everybody needs to know what's going on and what's really happening for us to take, as he puts it, take the fear out of the organization first. Because we gotta take the fear out of what's happening before people can really start thinking straight about what we can do differently to correct it, right? And what people tend to do yeah. is we act more like, you know, a hovering parent and we say, well, man, if we tell them that this thing, you know, they're going to get scared and they're going to run out the door and we, we got to keep this quiet and we got to, you know, all let us, let's not tell them this part of the story because it's going to disrupt them. We've always leaned like, no, they need to see the whole story, you know, and then, you know, get over it. And then let's then ask the question, what can we do to uh, to resolve this? So, I, I, you know, and I think the story behind that is the pandemic. I mean, that's exactly how we handled it. We've we've handled every recession or black swan event like that in that same fashion from Jack is that we just over communicated and got took the fear out of the organization was the very first thing we did. I think that overcommunication is it might seem like a bad word, right? Overcommunicating seems kind of like it's 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 too much, but I, yeah, I kind of yeah. feel that overcommunication isn't what's bad about it. It's it's if you overcommunicate and don't explain how you're going to fix the problem. So a lot of times people say, "Hey, listen, this is this is you know this is where we're in, uh, you know this this is the situation that we're in, and, and and then that's it, and then just don't say anything, and then just try to get people to figure it out themselves." I think. Uh, in, in your situation, it's not only saying what's happening, but saying, hey, listen, this is what we're going to do to fix it because we because we figured it out and we need everybody's help to do this. But this is what we're going to do to fix it. I think I think that's the that's the extra little uh, advice that if any, whoever's listening is the difference between a good leader and a bad leader. Somebody who explains how to fix things, not only tells what the problems are. And it's funny now that I'm just saying that out loud. It's very similar to how uh, a leader wants an employee to talk to them, right? Uh, or, or you know, wherever else is is underneath, uh, you know, quote unquote, in the hierarchy. We don't like hearing problems, but if there is one, we want to hear what your solution is, right? And 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 it goes both ways. And just you know, just thinking about that out loud, it's. I it's, think it it's is. Really I think interesting. there's a, 
there's a step there and it comes with the humility of the situation, right? Um, is we lay it out, but often we, you know, when we were coming in the early days of the pandemic, I mean, you know, Jack and no one could stand up and honestly say, we got this thing figured out. There's just no way. They wouldn't believe you if you said that. <laughs> but it was more like, hey, we're going to continue to communicate here and we're going to get your input. We're going to assess the, you know, the changes and we're going to make decisions. And I think it's, it's not that, hey, we got this thing figured out and here's the plan. It's that them knowing that we're going to actually act is really the big, big part of it, right? Yeah. Is that, okay, we're not just saying, you know, things have gone to shit and, and that's it. Okay. There's the, there's the truth. It was like, but we're going to act on it. We're going to do things we think are right, but we need your input too, right? We need to understand what you think because with without that, I think that becomes the leader where they, they, you know, are just, you know, moving down the track and, and they're looking behind them and no one's following them, right? Uh, where often in this kind of environment, you know, it's more like, you know, there go my people and I guess I should be in front of them, but they're moving right along because we've explained what needs to, to happen to be successful. Talking about things that need to happen to be successful, the way you are, um, you do coach is with a methodology, correct? Mm -hmm. That's true. So my question is, can you explain, can you drill down on that methodology and, and, and how it works exactly for anybody who's listening? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think it first starts, any kind of methodology is kind of based off of some core principles that we all believe in. And the core principles behind the great game of business, which has a foundation of transparency and open book management. Um, we use the analogy of the game, but I'll, I'll use some practical language around that as well, is that the first principle is what we call know and teach the rules. People need to be educated on the rules of the marketplace, the rules of the financials. They need to understand how the business works. And so it's really about educating employees so they begin to think more like owners, right? Because they have the information, it's transparent, and they've been educated on it, as you mentioned earlier. That's the first principle. The next principle is once you've educated them, how do you empower them and give them the freedom to act on that knowledge and skills, right? So they, they, they feel like they can act like an owner, right? And that's a principle that we really believe is we want to educate them enough that they, they're empowered to go out and make it happen. The, last, the next principle is really around, hey, if we're very successful, as an organization, how can we provide a stake in the outcome, right? That that every employee gets. If we're if we're successful, they get to be rewarded. If we're not so successful, they understand that there's a downside in terms of the business, right? So it it is a bit about you know sharing the rewards and and uh, the accomplishments that we have in the organization. So it's kind of no teach the rules, follow the action, keep score, and provide a stake in the outcome are the core principles. We want to educate, we want to empower, and we want to engage our employees. We want to get them to think, act, and feel like owners, right? That's the principles behind it. And we stay really true to those. Now there's practices behind that, and there's some core practices, but we know that those may need to be adapted a bit over time, you know, or maybe adjusted a bit for each type of business and environment and culture that you're dealing with. But but we try to adhere to those 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 principles. So things like, you know, we have huddle processes and scoreboarding and forecasting and bonus plans and opportunities to have, you know, you know, if you're employee owned, you know, you can have, you know, an opportunity for the equity side of the business. Those kind of things are the, the kind of the various practices that we live by. 
Interesting. Is there a difference in long-term versus short-term when it comes to this methodology or, or, or how does that work? Interesting. I, I, you know, I think that there's, there's no, there's not really a difference. I mean, you know, in terms of each one of those principles, I guess probably the biggest, an example of that is that, you know, when we go into an organization, we, 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 as coaches, or if we want to apply this in an organization, we typically focus first on, you know, getting the people to understand what they can do personally to impact the financials of the business, right? And really understand how their decisions and actions are affecting that. Probably that next step is to get them to really understand the long-term goals and strategy of the organization and, and the marketplace we're playing in and how that can influence what we do internally. So they start making decisions and actions internally that helps us strategically be uh, positioned stronger in, in the marketplace. So there is a levels of that, but it's all within those principles. It's just a matter of how you go about rolling this out uh, so it so it isn't overwhelming, but it also starts to embed it within the organization. Yeah, I'm getting a, a again, not to pitch uh, too much, uh, even though this is sponsored by Align, but the, the whole the whole point here is to be, is to align the whole company, right? To make sure that everybody's aware of what needs to be done. And I know I've, I've said it in the beginning and you've said it as well. Education is so, is so crucial. And I know that we're all saying this, and I know that a lot of a lot of us know what needs to be done, but I feel a lot of times uh, knowing what to do and actually doing it sometimes doesn't really happen. I don't know the answer to this. Uh, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw it at you, Rich. Uh, when it comes to how do you get somebody to move from knowing what to do to actually doing it? Like, what's that like? Is it a physical slap in the face? Uh, hopefully not, because nobody wants to be charged with anything. But like, what what do you do? How do you make somebody do what they need to do? You know, actually, I think it comes down to, you know, what you mentioned earlier, this is a lot about alignment, right? We Wouldn't it be cool if everybody could just kind of self-align, right? You know, and not have to have, you know, a lot of, you know, just here's the goals and here's what we need to accomplish, self-align to that and, and make it happen. Now, I think the thing that can really help get people to actually do it, like you're talking about the execution side of it, is that they believe in the goals and they've had an opportunity to kind of set their own goals. They, we use the term people support what they help create, right? If people participate in the process, they're going to buy in, right? And if they buy in, they're going to commit. And if they commit, they're going to deliver. That's execution right there. So it goes all the way back that were these goals and expectations just handed down to me from the top and the CEO and I have no idea what they are, or I don't have any buy-in to them, good luck with execution, okay? But if they were involved some way, not that they finalized the, the set of goals, but they just participated in the process to give their input to it, and, and that they buy in or they're confident in where we're going with the organization, execution becomes a little easier uh, because people love to support what they help create. Yeah, it's definitely a thing. I, one thing that I always struggle with is is that uh, gym membership mentality where you potentially buy that gym membership and you go for the first maybe two months and then something happens and then you get might get sick <laughs> and you don't go and then you kind of break that process. And I think I think one of the things, and again, this is not, not specifically to, to pitch coaching at all, but I think, again, one of the 
one of there's a few things that coaches are, are, are good are good for it's not you know uh instead of just making you think it's being that follow-up it's being that little nudge to remind you you have to go back you have to go back on track and unlike a gym membership which usually you don't have a buddy system which maybe could be kind of a business plan creating gym memberships where only t- we're both you have to have like two people in the gym membership to, to yeah, move forward i don't know anyway <laughs> We won't take your money unless you have two people and you have to I think Weight Watchers, you have to have a a buddy or a a person. So I think they figured that out. Okay. Okay. I didn't know that. (laughs) Is Weight Watchers still around? (laughs) Maybe I'm dating myself. I don't know. Yeah, it's fine. I I know what Weight Watchers is. So uh, despite of how I look, I've, I've seen a few of those commercials back in the day. Yeah, interesting. It would be it'd be interesting to see. Yeah. So so that's what a coach would be great for, right? That pushing that person, that train back on track and getting that going. I I, I want to talk a little bit about the book. First of all, why did you decide after twenty years to update it, and what is different, and what do you want to emphasize on this book that you you think everybody should hear? Yeah, the, the uh, as I mentioned earlier, the the Great Game of Business book originally was published in nineteen ninety two. You know, and uh, we. Uh, were actually asked by the publisher because of the success of the book, if it was, you know, time for a 20th anniversary or 25th anniversary, and he decided to do it on the 20th anniversary. When I say it was updated, the, the you know, 90% of the book is is exactly the same. We just updated, you know, Jack wrote kind of an intro to it to, to kind of say, okay, where is the organization today? Because this is very much about us. And you know how that is when you write about yourself and you write about all your successes and then you go through another 20 years. Okay, what what actually happened in the end, right? And so we updated that about where we were, how's the practices and the principles evolved. But the update that I was involved with uh, at the back of the book was our uh, experience in actually applying this into other businesses, right? Um, it's one thing looking at your own business, but how did we, you know, over the last 20 years apply it in other businesses? So that's where we really outline the methodology and the principles and the practices and things that we've seen, at, you know, worked and helped organization apply these ideas and concepts. Yeah, the, the proof uh, needs to be in the pudding. And I guess anybody can write a book about methodologies, but then if you can prove after tw- uh, X amount of years, whatever, in your case, it happened to be 20, that you have grown and you have implemented that, those methodologies, it should give people the understanding that this actually works. And I think I think one of the most important things we need to understand out of this is, again, there are many methodologies out there. Yeah, there's there's the Rockefeller habits, which you know scaling up is based off of, which we're we're, we're a big part of. Mm-hmm. And there's and there's right. obviously what uh, you guys are doing as well. There are different type of methodologies, but but at the end of the day, what's important about those methodologies is that one one you see that they actually work, right? That's one, and two you stick to them. Like don't bounce around. Stick to one thing and make sure because. What I'm seeing as well in a lot of in a lot of companies that are not successful is this shiny object syndrome where they say, oh, okay, this is the this is what we need to do now because this sounds like the best thing to do. And this is this is not necessarily just companies, right? This is just people when it comes to diets, when it comes to uh, you know, trying to be better at something in general, you know, just mental health as well. Uh, all, all these different things. I'm seeing this, this isn't working for me because they've done it for two, three days, or even a month, right? A month isn't enough. There are studies that say you have to do things for like 160 something days before it actually works. Don't quote me on that exactly, but I've seen a, 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 a ranges <laughs> where, you know, <laughs> behaviors, one right? thing I know for sure. Sh- yes, exactly. Exactly. The, the thing is the, the the idea behind this is 
it, it doesn't take 30 days. It's more than 30 days. I know it used to, there was this whole trend where you do it in 30 days and then, oh, it becomes a habit. No, this is, this is, this has been debunked uh, mm -hmm. multiple times. It's definitely more than 30 days, but you have to stick with it. And when it's tough, that's when, you know, the diamonds come out, right? That's uh, you, you can't create diamonds without any pressure. And I, I know I've said this a few times on this podcast, but. It really is. It's staying disciplined, find your system. I, we lead with that a lot, Philip, is because, you know, our methodology is very different than other methodology in the fact that we really push the transparency side of things, right? And, you know, there's other methodologies according, you know, and, and, and scale up that there's a lot of overlap in some of the practices, but there's some core principle differences. And what I always you know, this system that, or this methodology that, that, that we coach, it really needs, to, you need to find the, the, the approach, the methodology that fits your culture and what your aspirations are for your business. And if you can make that fit, then to your point is find a way to adapt it to your organization and stay disciplined to it and, uh, and, and be committed to it. And that's what I've seen at SRC, you know, we've just been committed to the now, and I would really stress be committed to more of the principles behind the methodology and, and let the practices evolve and innovate over time to even be better because you can get caught up, like you say, in the shiny objects that the practices, you know, that you're doing things that you think are going to make a quick result in the business when in reality, it's just going to either take time uh, to make that happen or that you need to innovate and evolve in some way. Uh, but, you know, find those practices that actually fit the principles behind how you want to run and manage and, and lead your organization. I think that's critical. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I agree. I, I completely agree. And I agree about the being uh, uh, progressive, me being able to be ad adaptive based on situations. You know, we, we, if we take this black Swan event, this, the past two years, leaders need to understand that everybody's in the same boat here. It's not like this is not affecting mm -hmm one company and it is affecting another, right? This is something affecting everybody. So the, the initial kind of thought process should be, okay, everybody's in this boat. Let's try to be better now. So what I want to do right now is I, I, if you have anything that you like to tell any, you yourself or somebody who is going to be in five years from now, this, this great leader, any type of advice that you believe they should hear to understand what they need to do to become that leader that they want to be in five years from now. Boy, that's a big one. That's a big one. Um, yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I guess I would leave it on kind of the theme that we were just talking about is that, you know, I think it, it, for, for a leader or running your business and stuff, I think it is very important that you find kind of the methodology or system that you want to use within your business. You're, you know, have an operating system or a leadership system that you can you know, you know, can rely on and, and measure against, right? In terms of finding the variances, um, rather than just, you know, I'm going to do a lot of things, like you said, and ch chase the shiny, uh, shiny objects, as you pointed out. I think it's having that kind of discipline. That's one thing I've seen as a leader from Jack. And again, he's a great mentor of mine, is that he is so consistent, you know, and, 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 and where he's consistent is around those core beliefs and principles about how we, you know, uh, approach things and how we deal with challenges and things like that and how we run our business every day. But he's very innovative in how we make those, bring those principles to life. 
And if you can get really core on the principles behind how you want to run your business, then find the system that will make that happen. That's great. Rich, appreciate your time. Thank you so much for being here. Everybody who's out there, make sure you check out the new updated version of a Great Game of Business. I'm going to say the title again, as long as it is, hold on, where is it now? Get in the game, creating rapid financial results and lasting cultural change. Again, Rich, thank you so much. If there's any, if, if for other, any, anybody out there that wants to get in touch with you or you feel that is, is where should they go? Um, probably the easiest is greatgame.com. All right, there you uh, go, and, everyone. And look on the website or my email at rarmstrong at ggob.com. Amazing, great. Thank you very much, everybody, for listening. Thank you very much again, Rich, for, for being with us. For everybody else out there that's listening, uh, now that you're done this episode, either binge the other ones or slash and get shit done. <laughs> Have a good one. <laughs>